Welcome to a new episode of Load In, Load Out, a Toy Story podcast produced in Athens, Georgia, in association with Kindercore Industries. On this episode, our guest is David Barbie, artist, producer, creative collaborator, and head of the music business program at the University of Georgia. Topics of conversation include, but are not limited to, the most professional manner of avoiding onstage regurgitation by involving your audience, an encounter with the Goofa Man, and David reveals his tour-tested recipe for a cordial you surely won't want to try. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hello. Uh, I'm Ryan. I'm Cash. This is Load In. Load Out. And we're here this week with Dave Barbie, legendary friend, rocker, studio man, academic, everything. How are you, sir? I'm above average. Are you? Fantastic. (laughs) Feel free. I feel good. That's good. Excellent. I'm happy. Good. Well, that's great. We're glad to have you. So you, I feel like we could have like a podcast that would go on for weeks, but... um, in the interest of not doing that, because I know everybody has other things in their life. Other than listening to me talk about myself? I mean, you know, I more meant you have other <laughs> things to do with yourself than to sit here for hours. But um, but so I know you have, from having heard many of them, you have some crazy tour stories. And sometimes we spend a lot of time talking about stuff before we get to the tour stories. But I kind of feel like maybe you might want to just jump in with some stuff. Oh sure, there's no end to. I mean, yeah, to good good tour stories. I guess give us give us a little like uh, update on you know who who you played with and what's going on right now. Okay, and then let her rip. All right, my name is David Barbie, and yeah. I've been playing in rock bands uh, for pretty much my entire life. My first band that I played in and got paid to play a show was when I was 12 years old, and I got paid ten dollars. So oh, wow. Um, that is oh, yeah. a long time ago. So, um, but of things that actually like existed to other people, <laughs> I was in a band called Mercyland for about five years. There was a three-month period where we were broken up, and I played with the Barbecue Killers at that time. After that time period, I had a band here called Buzz Hungry, and then I started playing in Sugar, and. Then I stopped doing that in 95 and just was making my own music under my own name and then producing a zillion records. Mm -hmm. And um, I have played with the band known as the Quick Hooks as my backing band has had about 20 different people, all of them have made really cool records on their own over the years. Yeah, um, often with you, right? Often with me. Yeah. I have um, spent three months playing bass in the drive-by truckers. Mm-hmm. I um, have now been touring backed up by New Madrid, and when they do that, they are known as Inward Dream Up, which is an anagram of my last name in New Madrid. So uh, okay. That's a sneaky thing. Nice. Not so sneaky now, because yeah. I just told you <laughs> Way to it. go. Way to let it out. So I've played in a bunch of... And then there's cool. plenty of like one-off. Uh, Patterson Hood and Frank McDonald... Or no, sorry, not Patterson. He invited us to do it. Frank McDonald and uh, the Glands and mm-hmm. Nick Bielli of Hayride and Kyle Spence, now playing with Kurt Vile, but at the time playing with Harvey Milk. We had a Who Live at Leeds cover band called Teenage oh, Waistband. My God. So I've been in a lot. Yeah, <laughs> That's amazing. I was Roger. When and where was that? It's we opened incredible. up for the Drive-By Truckers at the 40 Watt in oh, the man. Southern Rock Opera days. 
and um, we learned live at Leeds, wow. and they needed a singer, and so I grew up listening to that record <laughs> in high school. Yeah. And so just to make sure that the show was going to be like super exciting rock and roll action, I told them, I want you to go on stage and start playing first. Yeah. And then I'm going to come out like James Brown after uh-huh. the band's already playing. Yeah. And so I stood right behind the curtain at the 40 watt and had two shots of Maker's Mark. <laughs> and the idea was I'm going to suck down one and then suck down the other. And then I'm going to burst on the stage <laughs> with that first like liquor rush. Uh-huh. And which I did. But as I was walking out, I realized that the second one had gone down a little too quickly. And so <laughs> I'm standing on stage in front of about 800 people. And it occurred to me, I think I'm going to puke. Oh, no. <laughs> well that's a hell of a way to start it i'm not gg allen this yeah. is not my normal vibe yeah yeah so i made it, the first song is heaven and hell which as <laughs> would be true of the who in 1970 would be you got a verse a chorus and then like a two-minute guitar solo sure. which is great news because i was about to, to throw up <laughs> so no i um, did the only thing that made sense i sang the verse in the chorus and then i looked down and spied this guy and his girlfriend <laughs> leaning up on the stage and he had some kind of mixed drink, uh-uh. and I leaned down, took it out of his hand, knocked it back, and then <laughs> threw the ice and the drink in his face because it just seemed like the most rock and roll thing to do. <laughs> yeah. And, and then made sure I did not make eye contact with him for the rest of the yeah, show. Yeah, exactly. And it, was, it went well. That's great, yeah. man. Hell yeah. That's Man, I wish I had seen that. That's incredible. It's a good show. We always yeah. t- so you didn't puke. There was there was no puke. You powered oh, through good. it, man. Powered through. It's fantastic. Powered through. Like with, the professional you are. That's right. There's nothing yeah. more professional than appropriate another human being's drink and throwing it in his face in front of his girlfriend. <laughs> when when he's paid on? to see you perform. When he's paid to see you perform. <laughs> have you ever thrown up on stage, Ryan? Uh, no. No. No, I have not. I have not either. I, I've been thrown, thrown up, up on on stage, yeah. but I've never thrown up. No, oh. I've left the stage uh, and thrown up, but not on stage. It's polite. Yeah. Uh, it's the least I could do. Um, so then before we get going into right. those things, there's one other big thing that you do now, which is at UGA. Yes, I am the director of the music business program at my alma mater, the University of Georgia. And it's become yes. one of the, if not the most, one of the most respected music business programs in the country, if not the world right now, right? Well, that would be for other people to decide. <laughs> How do you feel about I'm it? I'm <laughs> very happy with it. We have good taste in students at the yeah. University of Georgia. I feel like UGA is becoming the place for students to come for music business specifically. But there's a lot of great schools in the country, but the, but people do are coming to Athens specifically to do this now. And yeah. there are, you know, there's differences. I mean, the, a lot of your other great schools are that do this are in New York, like NYU and right. UCLA and USC and LA and um Belmont and MTSU and Vandy. Vandy, I'm not sure if they have a program or not, but I know that MTSU and Belmont is a huge one in Nashville. And but people love coming to Athens, and mm-hmm. it's um, the advantage of UGA and Athens. There's a couple of things that are a little different. One, Athens is obviously smaller, but we're a music town, yeah, so there right. are all kinds of music businesses of great significance but that aren't huge operations. Mm. So that if somebody comes to intern at, oh, I don't know, Kindercore or yeah. Chase Park Transduction or with the drive-by truckers or mm-hmm. Wiser Panic or the 40 Watt of the Georgia Theater, et cetera, et cetera, that they're actually involved, you know, and right, they're right. All part of the community yeah. and part of the town. And so it's like the MBUS program has become a big part of the town's music scene. Yeah, And absolutely. so I think that it's kind of bridging the gap between the town and that portion of the university, at least, which is nice. Mm-hmm. And... Um, the other thing is that uh, everybody that teaches in the MBUS program has to have current significant 
professional experience. Yeah. So Alyssa DeHaze, who's an amazing publicist of the Riot Act. Or and an Andrew, amazing person in general. And an amazing person in general. Saw her at Ideal Bagel just a little while ago. Um, Andrew Rieger with, mm -hmm. you know, Elf Power and Orange yeah. Twin. Yep. Um, Tom Lewis, who has engineered great records for 35 years. David Lowry, who, of course, between Camber Van Beethoven and Cracker and mm -hmm. producing other people's records. And so that's our faculty. So it's right, all, right. everybody does real stuff now. It can't yeah. be, I learned this in a book or I did this a long time ago. Because those of us who have been in the rock and roll business know doing it's kind of how you do it. It's not the same business. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. So when yeah. I took music business at UGA before the pro before like the program actually existed, it was a class that was mostly taken by football players who needed an easy A. Did you take it with and Bill Ramal? The yes, yes, yes. The the who was like all of his experience was like from you know twenty thirty years prior or whatever. And I was in his first class. Were you really? Oh yes, that's amazing. So okay, so you were there. Yeah, he uh, for us one of the reasons why the football players took it is that he was like the music business is about cheating. So if you can cheat and I don't catch you, then by all means, go for it. And so then everybody cheated. <laughs> <laughs> he, um, yeah, but the thing I remember about Bill Ramal, who had a background in like doo-wop yeah. in the 50s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of his stories were about that. In the 60s, that. yeah. Bill um, had an intense personal grudge with Frankie Valli. Yes. And it stemmed to Bill as a big-time <laughs> producer who had done Dale Shannon's Runaway. And the and Frankie Valley and his guys really wanted him to give him a shot, and Bill didn't like him. You guys are too old. You've been on the street corner too long. And they were older by the time yeah. they had hits. But so um, one of our test questions, and Bill, uh, unlike any other college professor you'll, you'll ever have, would read you the entire test mm -hmm. the day before the test. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, he, on the philosophy, according to him, that I thought the point was for you to learn how to do it, right? So he, um, the craziest oh, guy. he was. So, uh, one of his test questions was Frankie Valley is a, a jerk, <laughs> B, a creep, C, no good, D, looks like a rat when he sings, <laughs> e, all of the above. Clearly, the answer. The answer to number 57 is E. All of the above. <laughs> that was the way he read them too, right? Yeah, he told you the answer yeah, too. Yeah, in, yeah. In his, you know, yeah. New York, right? You know, oh yeah, uh, vernacular. And he said, any student who answers number fifty-seven with any question other than E will fail, of course. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. So he must have that question wasn't of mine. I don't know if when you had him, he was. This may have you may have had him pre-divorces, but a big topic mm. was when you all inevitably get divorced. It's not what you're going to want to do. Your instinct wants to go there and look really nice and show her up. But what you really need to do is go on like a five-day bender, show up in dirty clothes, stinking, and the judge won't make you pay a thing. And that was his most important lesson that he taught us like <laughs> twice a week. <laughs> he was, uh, and I think this is, pre I, think, I think I was pre-divorced from yeah. all yeah. student. Yeah. He's, he's uh, you know, JB from Watchtrap Panic, he and I were both in that first class. Okay. And we both like Google searched him and he's like nowhere to be found anymore. There's no record of He his, died, right? I don't know. I thought I thought I had heard that he did, and that's why, like, because that went away like years before y'all's right. program started. Yeah. yeah, he started in eighty. The first class was January of eighty four. Wow, and I had him in like probably January of ninety three. So yeah, that's I can't believe crazy. he hung on there that long. Yeah, I know it's pretty wild. Anyway, that anyway. guy was crazy. I wanted, yeah, I wanted to get that out there. But so in on like so in between this 
you know, running a department thing that you're doing. Mm -hmm. You're also running a studio. Yeah. Going on tour, running on a studio, going on tour. Um, I think you need another job. You need to get another job. Yeah, I really do. And I'm the faculty advisor for the university of Georgia water (laughs) ski team. I did not know that. I am. Okay. Uh, That's a whole wait, other. wait, wait, wait. How, <laughs> faculty advisor for the University of Georgia Water Ski water Club ski team. Yes. Yeah. Club team. Yeah. See, I'm from, I'm from Florida, so it's my sport. Uh, in the yeah, south, I knew you were a water ski guy. In the south, water skiing to me is just skiing. The skiing. Well, I said water skiing instead of just skiing because every time I say skiing, they go, "What mountain?" No one it's skis like, in Georgia. You, right. I ski on the melted snow. Right. Oh. Anyway, um, so yeah, yeah I'm skiing a little busy. Skiing to me is snow skiing. Like when <laughs> I, I say snow skiing, and water skiing is skiing. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thank you. We in the South appreciate yeah. that attitude. So I'm a little busy. Yeah. yeah. It's a little crazy, but um, my children are adults. Yeah. And also touring. Yes. Um, in the Hernies. They're yeah. an awesome band. Yeah. Which I are. frequently uh, refer to as the greatest band in the history of the Barbie family. <laughs> and, uh, they're a good I band. I love it. I love it. I am. Um, yeah. So I'm a little busy, but you know, life's short. The world's like a billion years old and I get about 85 to do something with. Yeah. I'm going to spend, you know, 28 of those asleep and well, probably not that many with me, maybe about 20 of those <laughs> asleep and you know, another 20 years or so eating and going to the post office and standing in line behind somebody who's buying lotto tickets. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. wondering why I pay at the pump takes so long. Somebody write uh, a check. Whatever. Yeah. And that, you know, if you start really winnowing it down and it's just like, man, I got like 20 years out of like a billion to do stuff. So I just do as much as I can all the time. It's an inspiration. I've always like looked to you and been like, if he can do that shit, I can do it. I think it's kind of fucked up personally, but I keep on doing it. It's working for me. So, uh, (laughs) uh, yeah. This week, we'd like to shine a little light and love on Girls Rock Athens. Girls Rock Athens is a nonprofit organization dedicated to empowering girls, women, trans, and non-binary folks of all backgrounds and abilities through music education, creation, and performance. They provide leadership opportunities, build self-esteem, and provide people of marginalized genders with a safe place to express themselves. Go to girlsrockathensga.org to learn more donate or volunteer that web address again is girls rock athens ga.org but then i told you the so uh so yeah take us in and get us in the get us in a van take us out there okay the so the some of the best touring times uh would definitely be the mercy land days which yeah. is um pre-internet pre pre-internet quest and cell phones yes yeah, you know it's all that stuff yeah. so i never um uh doing this tour i just did with new madrid it was just like we would talk about the fact that it's just like yeah it was like the road atlas and pay phones yeah, yeah exactly. and sometimes I talk about that a lot with anybody i tour with now yeah. it always comes up it's like we had atlases yeah i yeah. love the atlas yeah. yeah and or just like driving into some town and it's like well the sun's over there and right. so yeah. therefore it's about <laughs> five o'clock we're supposed to go east. Let's put the sun in the rearview mirror and see if this street gets us down towards yeah. the club. And uh, so um, Mercyland Touring was van touring. But even before that, I had a Datsun King Cab pickup. Datsun predated Nissan. Uh-huh. And so imagine something smaller 
than the smallest truck that's made today, but with like the little jumper cab mm-hmm. and a little white camper cap on the back. Okay. Yeah. And so Mercyland toured in one of those for a while, and we would have <laughs> wow. the driver, and everybody could take one like college size backpack with uh-huh. you for three weeks of Whoa. living. Yeah. And then those got squeezed in behind the driver's seat. Yeah. Um, the passenger seat and the little troll seat behind the, uh-huh. the passenger, and then we put all the gear in the back with about oh maybe a couple of feet band of width at the back of the truck bed uh-huh. which is where the fourth person would I was going to say where it's like <laughs> three piece band but we always took a fourth person which could be it was really rarely a sound person because clubs always have a sound person yeah. but we would just take a fourth person to help us hump gear sell merch right. drive and basically yeah. a psychic foil right. you need somebody yeah. that's not in the band uh-huh. to make everybody act right take some pressure right. off of things right. yeah yeah, yeah. Com- companies over yeah everybody put your manners everybody on everybody right. behave put so your pants back um on. we um toured like that um and it's pretty interesting the person that we f- most frequently toured with was um uh dewitt burton who has since been like rem's equipment manager yeah. for like 20 years and has toured with all kinds of seattle grunge bands you know mud honey and and you know Springsteen and Jesus, these, like, yeah, I didn't realize time. he did those oh, yeah, things uh, too. Yeah, yeah, uh, he just did a run with the Decemberists, um, okay, at Mumford and Sons, and like you know punk rock bands, I yeah, mean, Super Chunk, Sun Vault. I mean, a crazy it's just a combination. Of, yeah. yeah, seen the world doing this. Yeah, but he got his start uh, with um, us riding in the King Cab. In the, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and uh, before that we had this guy named Spider. <laughs> who in the Athens like hipster new wave arty towny music scene days was like the the like metalhead? Oh yeah, the one, the one, right. the one metal. The guy yeah. who I mean, it's like seventies are cool now, but they weren't in the eighties, <laughs> right? And, no, you know, totally. Five years ago is never cool. Twenty years ago always rules. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. But, uh, yeah, so he was stuck. Spider in the past never for... bailed on the stuff that he loved, That's and uh, but he was he was also like very literate, well read, like a uh-huh. great sense of humor, and liked all kinds of music. But he sort of embraced like rock Metal and life. roll yeah. culture. Yeah, yeah. And um, there was this article in the Village Voice one time about uh, Peter Hallsapel of the DBs uh-huh. opening a sh- an impromptu acoustic set before Mercyland and getting heckled by Spider. <laughs> no. <way. laughs> and if you can find this thing, Charles Aaron wrote it in the Village Voice in 1987. It's called Spider's Men. And. Um, but we did this tour. We did a lot of touring with Spider. And just when you're touring at that level, it's, um, you know, if you play a show that has like three or four people, you better play great because oh, yeah. you need one of these people to give you a place to stay. Yes. Right? Or you're yes. going to be camping out or sleeping in <laughs> yeah. the truck. Yeah, which and we've already established is not comfortable. Correct. We've <laughs> established that camp tra- tra- traveling in a van, you can stretch out if you need to. You yeah. can make it work. Yeah. But traveling in a truck like that, not it's... It's not good for anybody. <laughs> no, no. So any human being that offers you a place to stay, you just hope they're not Charles Manson because yeah. <laughs> you are going to stay there. Oh, yeah. If it's one in the your, cards. If one of your three fans leaves, you've just reduced your – you've just like cut your chances by 33% right. that you're going to find a place to stay. So you better be great in front of those three people. But we um, and also not too crazy or creepy or whatever. Correct. <laughs> we stayed in. Um, we had this crazy experience in Kent, Ohio, where somebody had, not me, but one of the other <laughs> band members had booked one of the most poorly advanced shows in the history of rock music, and so we showed up in Kent, and 
there's basically like no show. And so we call the guy, he calls the guy at the bar and he said, yeah, well, hadn't heard from you in a few weeks. And there's this big uh, party going on out of town, with a bunch of bands playing. So I just figured we weren't going to do it. I was like, well, we're like here. Right. So we played, um, uh, so we got there and it's like the, the club portion is in the basement. And then there's this kind of like adult bar okay. place upstairs. And, uh, and so uh, we, the bartender's down there, and he's kind of like an old hippie, or rather he was an old hippie. He wasn't just kind of like one. Yeah. And uh, he's really nice, and he's cool, and he's like, man, you know, he totally screwed you guys over. He said, he told me to come into work today, but there's no show. And, uh, you know, you guys, like, want some beers or something? And we said, do you mind if we just go ahead and play? I mean, we kind of were geared up to play tonight, and we just yeah. assumed – so if we're going to hang out here and drink beer, we just assume like play music, like we're practicing while we're doing it. Yeah. And then he and the bartender and his girlfriend, and he said, yeah, man, that's cool. I'll listen to you guys. Yeah, that's fine. And so we sat down there and uh, just jammed with, you know, while this guy, the bartender and his <laughs> equally old hippie is super nice girlfriend. Uh -huh. And while they just kind of got us drunk. And so one other human being comes into the bar. Uh -huh. And it is a guy whose name is Virgil. And Virgil became known to us evermore. If I was to run into one of the Mercyland guys or do it right now and say, hey, I just told them the story of the Goofa Man, <laughs> they would know exactly who I'm talking about. Because earlier in the story, we had been in court in the court tavern in New Brunswick, New Jersey, and there was this poster for this band, Black Vomit. <laughs> and it had this like crudely drawn, like surprised expression face on their poster that said we scared of the goofa man <laughs> so we met this guy um so virgil who is obnoxious that is the word to describe him in one in the goofa man in one word is that he was obnoxious uh um he is um wearing a tie-dyed t-shirt three sizes too big for any person he could possibly be related to he has a fishing hat on okay um he has not taken very good care of his skin over the course of his life okay or his teeth and he always yeah cool. he's the he's like the adult version of like the kid who thinks like the grossest stuff imaginable is what you talk about yeah when you're trying to impress girls in seventh of grade. course right yeah, you know yeah, this yeah. guy you yeah, know, oh, yeah. you, absolutely you know this guy yeah you yeah. know this kid yeah well the adult version is no good at all <laughs> It just gets worse if you keep that up. But yeah. we're kind of drunk, and he's all we've got, and he offers us a place to stay. Oh, man. And so oh. we're riding along with him, and the ride keeps getting longer and longer while he's directing us to his place. It's not five minutes away from the bar like he said it was. It's far longer, and the part of the reason is he's hungry, and he wants to go, as he refers to it, to taco hell and he thinks the phrase taco hell is so funny that he it's says it's the funniest thing he's ever said right over and over <laughs> and over again and it keeps taking longer and longer and Ugh. while we're riding DeWitt said to me do we need to like just like kick him out of the van and just like <laughs> oh he was in the vehicle yeah, with like, you yeah because we had to give him a ride of course a guy yeah. like doesn't have a car of course he doesn't he'd have, <laughs> to, have, a, he'd have to have a job I mean <laughs> right to uh, uh, he'd get his shirt stuck in the door getting in and out. Yeah, to um, 
quote uh, Lenny of The Simpsons uh, when uh, it appeared they were all going to lose their jobs. He told Carl, we all need jobs so we have a place to drive to in our cars. <laughs> exactly. So uh, we are riding, driving the Goofa Man first to Taco Hell and then the convenience store oh. so he can get something. And uh, <laughs> then to his house, which is a single wide trailer mm-hmm. with nothing in it except his bed and a gross couch and some yes. nasty old shag carpet. Nice. But it's still all did we've do got, it? and right. now it's like three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And we did stay with the Goofa Man. Yeah, and the you know, best—I mean, the only really point of the story is that we is that you will stay virtually anywhere. But this That's ride right. reminds me of another story that happened about five years later in a way that I would not have expected, which is me and Dewitt again. And this time it's on a sugar tour, uh-huh. and we're in Seattle. We just played the Moore Theater, and this is the Copper Blue Tour. And uh-huh. we, the Jacko Nuts, who are a great Athens band, were playing the West Coast, and they're coming south. We're going north. We'd just done La Luna in Portland the night before. We're going to go play Vancouver the next night. And so we're in Portland. We run into the Jack and Nuts, and they're our friends, and they're from home. And it's one night before the last show of the run of the tour before Christmas. And oh, I'll take it back. No, before we went home, maybe for Thanksgiving, because then we went to Europe. Mm-hmm. So um, they say, hey, do you want to go? Brooks Carter and the Jack and Nuts had a friend that lived in Seattle. Like, hey, do you want to go to my friend Alex's house to after and hang out? We're like, yeah, yeah sure. So... We had had a fun night. We hung out with those guys, and we went to the Crocodile Club, and we saw the Melvins, and then we go to nice. this guy's apartment, and we're hanging out, and everybody's drinking and having a good time. And the four of us, and the Jack and Nuts as well, but we were all definitely would fall in the category of real smart Alex. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently, uh, either DeWitt or myself had, uh, I guess it was just the two of us, it wasn't a Mercy Land Tour, the two of us and the Jack and his people, yeah. had made some funny, funny, funny remark <laughs> that may have irritated our host. And it probably had oh, to do no. with the fact of how wasted he, our host, was. This oh, guy's apartment, I mean, he is like a drunken mess. Yeah, so he's taking everything wrong anyway. Yeah, and he is kind of the butt of the joke. Yeah, okay. So we get ready to leave, and we're going to call a cab, and this guy says, hey, uh, I'll call you a cab. We said, okay. So we get in the cab and we know that it's like, it's late. It's going to be about two. Mm-hmm. And we got an eight o'clock van call or, you know, to car call, call yeah. gear truck, sugar tour. And so we um, are going to, so we got to get back to the hotel. And so by the time the cab finally gets here, it's like three o'clock in the morning. And so we get in this cab and it's like, it's cool. We'll get back. It's like a 20 minute ride and we'll yeah. be back there and we can get a few, you know, three, four hours of sleep and get up and be fine. Except the cab ride doesn't take 20 minutes. He, well, this is pre-cell phone again, so you're like, you don't know where you are. Right. Mm-hmm. And he is driving us, and a couple of times we drive by the exit where the hotel is. And this is a gentleman of uh, recent immigration okay. from Africa. Sure. And there is a serious language barrier. Yeah, yeah. And we keep trying to tell him, I was like, no, right there, right there, right there. That's the Motel 6. Yeah. And he drives by. And we're just like, it was right there. He goes, okay, 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 okay. I'll I'll go. Next exit, next exit. And we drive around and around and around. And then we keep trying to find. It's like, look, can you stop somewhere and maybe ask directions? Yeah. Again, no GPS. It's like, could you maybe, I mean, we know you're. But to be fair, he is a cabbie though, right? Right. Yes. (laughs) But that's part of the job. (laughs) 
right. I was going to say, pre-GPS, you're sort of supposed to know where things are. Right. I mean, I had a friend who was a cabbie in New York, and he told me that when that he had to know they would they could they needed for him to get the job they needed to throw like a hundred addresses at, yeah. at him and say right uh yeah you know 636 west 11th street sure you you know yeah right yeah so uh we um this goes on for like a couple of hours as you watch hours your, as you watch hours your sleeping hours window. a couple of and hours we are in this like, not 30 minutes no 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 <laughs> and so we're in this like warehouse area where there's some guys like loading like milk trucks and ag trucks up to go to like grocery stores Morning and he goes starts. into ass. Yeah. And we are, the two of us are in the cabin. It's like, do we need to like get out and just start walking? And it's like, there's no like, we're like looking around. There's like a convenience store, a gas station, someplace that we can go get a payphone and call. Yeah. And it's like, we don't know where we are. Is your stuff at the hotel? Too? Our stuff's at the oh hotel. And so we finally get back there. At like six o'clock in the morning. Uh-huh. Oh, and what? Annie wants to charge us thirty-one dollars for the cab fare, and we're like thirty. Are you kidding? No. How about like? How about no? Like well, you, you pay you, us thirty-one dollars riding around with this so cab. I think we gave him like ten bucks. Yeah. Is what it would have cost in the first place, and so we get out and we go inside, and so about three years later, I was at the wedding of Brooks Carter, uh-huh. and we were talking, and I. And I ran into this guy, Alex, from Seattle. I said, and we started talking. And it's like, the guy oh you had stayed yeah, with? I was like, oh, the guy whose place I was with him. I was like, oh my God, you're not going to believe what happened to us when we left your apartment. I told yeah. him this whole story. <laughs> and then he said, he said, oh yeah. He said, you remember, I remember that night. He said, uh, I don't know if you remember me telling you I'd call my cab for you. I knew it. I was like, <laughs> your cab? And he said, you and your friend, you guys are real funny. <laughs> I just started laughing. I was like, oh, my God. Did you? And he goes, yes, I did. I called that guy, and, yeah, we that was that was my doing. So he made the guy drive you around. And I was just like, oh. I was impressed. That's really good. It how, was that's, really how did good. he get the guy to drive you that around? high that. level, He must have paid him. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that's real it good. Was, it was very high level yeah. prank. I mean, it was just like, wow. I'm, I was like, not, we're at a wedding, we're having a good I was like, right. I was not angry at all. I was like, oh my God, that is, yeah. I'm sure it was deserved. I'm sure it was richly deserved. <laughs> but that's and, genius. Uh, that's so good. Oh, yeah, to be the, I was the butt oh of my God. a brutal practical joke. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. That's, <laughs> it yeah. was incredible. Wow, I'm super impressed. Uh, that's, uh, oh yeah. like life-threatening things that I was involved with or when I was be like just like a foolish very young teenager right like just doing stupid things yeah I mean it's like danger um I can remember some people getting like irrationally <laughs> pissed off about things yeah um I doesn't have to be danger though yeah I've yeah it's mostly fun. Yeah, good. Mercyland Barbecue Killers tours were always the very height of fun. It's like yeah. the, the the sugar tours were 
a lot more comfortable. You play to a ton of people. Everybody right. has your record. Yeah. Um, people sing along with the songs. Uh, you st- you're sleeping in beds and <laughs> eating in restaurants. Um, yeah. But did you guys tour in a van or did you guys have a sugar was like a, a bus would would have like a rental car and then like a rider truck for the gear. We mm. were p- selling out places with like several thousand people like, and yeah, but without a bus. Wow. Um, we always it was like rental car and Motel Six. Yeah. It was a, a, a Bob's way from like the Husker days. It was like very low budget. Uh, yeah. His philosophy was cost low. Everybody makes more money. Yeah. Right. And at Absolutely. the time, I had you know either two or three tiny children. Yeah. The whole time I was in Sugar, and it's just like. I'll go to Motel Six. I'll take more money. That's fine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Publix doesn't take indie cred. No. So uh, <laughs> they don't Although care. Although in Athens, sometimes it, they, they don't care who you're in a band. In Athens, it's different. <laughs> I mean, we all know that bars do, but definitely right. not the grocery store. Um, but the Mercyland days of touring were like, uh, just like generally like kind of rip roar and fun. Yeah. Now here's another funny one from the Bu- a Buzz Hungry tour was okay. we um, played in Durham, North Carolina, and um, Eric Sales and I had gotten uh, some PBRs to drink. It was like a DIY show, so it's not like you're like drink tickets. It's like, right. Hey, yeah, before we play, we're gonna go to the beer store and get a six pack of PBRs. And it was back before PBR was considered cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. It was cheap. We just knew that we were. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. No, I've always loved cheap beer, but it's like my philosophy of drinking is cheap beer and expensive whiskey because right. the opposite is trouble. Yes. Right. Yes. That uh, you know, you need some kind of beer that you can drink <laughs> a lot of. Yeah. Yeah. And you need some kind of whiskey that encourages you to savor it. Yes. Right. So. Uh, Very true. Brooks Carter, he of the Jackanuts, and to hook this into this crazy Seattle experience, <laughs> is also the drummer in Buzz Hungry, and so Brooks, he's a man of a broad palette of tastes and he had decided that his beverage of choice that evening was going to be port wine okay and so um i was like what is that I've, and he's like oh it's port i was like you ever had I was like no i never had any port wine. i thought it was like something like people like lived under like the overpass <laughs> yeah and uh, he said it's pretty good you ought to try it. and i said okay so i had um had had a sip of it and was just like this thick, sweet wine. And then I tried to like wash it down with a sip of PBR and was like, uh-huh. oh my God. Uh-huh. I was like, PB, I said PBR <laughs> and port wine. No. It tastes just like vomit. Yeah. <laughs> they all laughed. I was like, try it. And so Brooks said, and was like, oh my God, it does taste just like PBR. I was like, Eric, come here, come here, come here. I was like, take a sip of this. Take a sip of your beer. Okay, now take a sip of this. Porn. I was like, oh my God, it tastes like puke. I was like, yeah, it does. So, um, we sat on the back steps of this place in Durham, and whenever people would like come up to the show, it's like they would people would say like, "What are you guys doing?" It's like, oh, "We're uh, we're doing vomit balls tonight." And uh, what's a vomit ball? Oh, it's port wine with a with a PBR chaser. And uh, they're like, "Really?" It's like, "Why is it called a vomit ball?" It's weird. And then I was like. Because it tastes just like puke. Try it. And the amazing thing is you tell people something's going to taste just like puke. And you know what? Every single they person is going to taste it. And they're like, oh, my God. It tastes <laughs> awful. It tastes like puke. <laughs> I told you. It's like the smell thing. Like, man, it smells bad. Here, smell. Yeah, yeah exactly. Everybody's yeah. going to smell it. Uh, yeah. My daughter does that to me all the time. Dad, <laughs> it smells gross. Come here. <laughs> Those darn kids. Yeah, that's but that's amazing. the Buzz Hungry's contribution to popular culture. It's really the, good. The, 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 the invention of the vomit ball. Vomit ball. Oh, yeah. That's good. I like that. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, cool, man. Are there any places that you can think of when you visit somewhere that you specifically have to eat there? Any restaurants over the country you're like, 
I may I'm, only be playing the city because I because want to get I this want to place. get well. There have been, even though um, I've kind of done that enough times, but uh, the Char Grill in Raleigh okay. was a that was a Mercyland uh, hot spot that uh, would be worth. We played in Raleigh not too long ago, and I actually talked about going to the Char Grill, but like walking two doors down to eat near the club actually worked just fine right. too. Right. Like, but yeah, yeah. But we did talk about the presence of the Char Grill. Yeah, there used to be these places all over. There was Smalley Fair in Tuscaloosa, which is like a meet and three place. Um, there's always, you know, a barbecue joint in most mm-hmm. southern towns yeah. you can go to. Um, and, oh, I'll tell you a place that we did love to go is there used to be this club in, uh, on the Outer Banks, North Carolina, mm-hmm. called the Mex-Econo, Mex-Econo. Uh-huh. And it was like a indie rock club across the street from the beach that had super ice cold beer and really good fresh fish tacos and they got this great crowd of um atlantic coast college kids surfers construction workers and that and so and just like local working people and so it's like a pretty rip-roaring place but that would be if i had a time machine i think i would uh i'd consider going back to the mexicano yeah Yeah. and uh even though i got a bust here in a minute yeah next time i will tell you one of one of the th- great things about being in Mercyland was our, um, just our deep appreciation of just doing stuff because we wanted to do it, including <laughs> like totally ridiculous like prank style setups, <laughs> such as the oh, creation yeah. at this place, the Mexicano, of the world's greatest club and band convention, nice. which shouldn't be too hard to figure out what the club was. And sure. Who the headline? <laughs> right, 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 of course. I like it. That's right. great. Well, yeah. thanks for coming by, man. Thanks yeah. for having fantastic me on the show. To have you. And uh, yeah, we look forward to having you again in the future. Yeah, I'll come back. Cool. Make it, make, make uh, it a, a reoccurring guest. Before you go, where do people find you? In uh, on, it, with people hear this and they're interested, where do they go? Oh man, I'm one of the easiest people in the world to find. Yeah, maybe unfortunately. <laughs> of course, under my actual name, David mm-hmm. Barbie, I'm on the Facebook. Right. I and mean, if you Google me, on Chase Park Transduction, if you go to the studio's yeah. website, chaseparktransduction.com, there's an email okay. and an honest-to-God landline on there. Wow. I and even just mean where can people find your music. My not, music? Not you to hassle oh, me you personally. Oh, me to hassle me. Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, people like to hear what you're up to. It will be in uh, Orange Twin Records. That's okay. the best place to go. Cool. Mm-hmm. To go to the Orange Twin website. Awesome. And uh, because... They are awesome and deserve your love. Yeah. Hell yeah. Agreed. And maybe don't hassle him personally. Uh, yeah. Dave. I'll, I'll just when that's redacted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks for listening to this episode of Load In, Load Out, a tour story podcast produced by me, Bill Fortenberry. Our hosts are Cash Carter and Ryan Lewis. If you enjoy the show, check us out at kindercore.com or give us a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you guys back here next time.